a cool story. I love David and Katie. They're actually neighbors of ours, and, and we've loved watching them over the last couple of years. They've been a part of this church, and to look at their stuff and ask a simple question that we're asking for the course of this month is, what do you do with what God's given to you? And I'm excited to get into the text this morning. It's truly one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite Bible passages, but I do, and, and, and this is one of them. I'm so excited to do that. But first, I want to just uh, address a couple things. Uh, kind of some family stuff. So if you're a guest and, and, or new with, with us, welcome to the table. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And, and also want to let you know, it's not bad stuff. Anytime someone says we have family business that you think it's bad, it's not bad. Let me prove to you that it's not bad. Uh, because the first thing I want to share with you is that today is a very important day and special day uh, for me and my wife, because today Jeannie and I celebrate our 18th anniversary, wedding anniversary. So thank you very much. Say this all the time in case you're wondering. We got married when we were 12. If you're trying to do the math and figure out how I look so good, um, you weren't figuring that. Okay, you weren't trying to figure that out. Okay, so I'm so excited to celebrate. And we're actually going to be spending uh, this next week really celebrating that. And I want to let you know how and why we're doing that. Uh, tomorrow morning, actually, Gene and I are going to get in a plane with our kids and head to California for a couple of weeks to really truly. Uh, rest and recover, and we're going to ask God to replenish us. That's the longest break we've taken in the five years since we really set our lives to starting this church, and really in the last 20 years that Gene and I have been doing uh, church work. This is the longest break we ever did. It's only a couple weeks, but for us, it's, it's a really big deal. And, and the reason we're doing it now, right now, is because, to be really perfectly honest with you, uh, the last six months of ministry have been incredible here at Soul City Church. Our church continues to grow deep and wide, but it's also been, for me and for Jeannie, uh, probably the most challenging leadership ministry season we've ever faced, one of the hardest seasons we've ever had to walk through. And so we know that we need to rest, and we love this church so much that we're going to take a little break. And it's only going to be a couple weeks, and you're going to be in great hands while we're gone. In fact, probably things will turn out better while we're gone, and so just don't tell us that when we come back to say it was horrible without us, but we're just taking a break for a little bit, because here's the deal, and I want you to hear this really clearly. Our plan at this point is to lead this church for the rest of our life. And so for us to lead this church for the rest of our life, we need rest in our life. And so we're just going to hit pause, and people say, oh, are you not going with the kids? Are you taking the kids with you? Absolutely, we're taking the kids with us. I cannot wait for this time for us to just stop and to be with them and to rest and reflect and recover and then ultimately, like I said, have God replenish us. So I would ask if you think of us to pray for us. Would you pray for us over these next couple of weeks as we are busy doing nothing <laughs> that God would do something in restoring our souls so that we can come back more ready than ever and more capable than ever and more dependent on God than ever to lead through this next, next ministry season. So I wanted to let you know that about that. So starting tomorrow, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back in a couple weeks, and I just thought you should know. So there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's sweet. We'll see if you're clapping when I take a selfie from the beach. I think that's really... <laughs> while you're at work, just see how much you're clapping then. Well, I, I, again, as I said, I'm excited to get into this text today, and we're, we're in week two of a series called Leverage Life. If you missed last week, you can go online, watch the video, or listen to it to catch up to where we're at. We're asking one simple question. What do you do with what God's given you? What do you do with what God has given to you, the, the resources of your life, the, your, your time, your, your talents, your treasures, your, your stuff? What do you do with what 
God has given to you, how you answer that question has a profound impact on your life and can be a life-changing, purpose-giving answer. Just by asking that simple question, what do I do, what do you do with what God has given to you? This last week, our son was given something he'd never had before, and it's kind of become a big deal to him. Uh, our, our son Elijah is eight, and he loves baseball right now. He had a great couple coaches and a great baseball season this summer, and so he's really into baseball. And so his grandmother went and bought him a not just a pack, but five packs of baseball trading cards, and he loves them. And he's opened them up, and we've spread them all out across the counter, and we've spent time organizing all of his cards and then reorganizing his cards, and then re-reorganizing his cards. And he's like, Dad, you know, I'm, the, I'm missing this one. I want to have one from this team. And he loves his baseball cards. And so we were talking about as we were driving around yesterday, and he's like, Dad, on the back of one of my cards, it says that this guy's number 292 in, in, you know, in, in his league. And I'm like, wow, I don't think they rank him like that. He's like, yeah, and this guy's 315. I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's actually, okay, those are their stats on the back. And this is a cool, like, this is a moment for me as a dad where I got to break down a deep, we had a deep spiritual conversation about stats and baseball. So I had the talk with my son. <laughs> about baseball. And so, and so I got to say, no, no, on the back, look, this shows like how many times they're at bat, how many times they've had a hit, how many plays they've made. Like, this is kind of where they're at in their career. And this is where they're at in their last season. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's what makes them so valuable is you have some, a couple players with some really great stats. You can actually trade those for other cards that you want. It's like a universe expanded for him. He's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm like, I know. And so it was a very, very exciting thing. And then our conversation quickly went from stats and why those are so important. Very, very quickly, it led to me having to explain to him what fantasy leagues are. <laughs> and so I had to explain to my son, I'm like, son, you're not the only one collecting stats. There are grown adults who do what you're doing right now. And they spend a lot of time doing it. And I had to explain to my son that there are people who are just obsessed with stats and following players and knowing all their stats. And in fact, I'm like, son, do you know that there's, there's people who know what high school players are doing right now and are watching them for where their career will be in two, four, and six years? He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, that's how into this people are. He's like, do you think anyone's watching me? Yes, your mother and I are watching every, and we are counting on you to make a killing in baseball. So, so yeah, yeah, you know, I'm explaining the whole thing to him, and then it got me thinking about all of that and, and how interesting and how quickly the fantasy league industry has grown in the last decade. It's fascinating. Many of you have been a part maybe of a, a fantasy league. You kind of picked your team and you've kind of tracked with them. Just about every sport has them. NFL has uh, the, you know, the kind of the most amount of them. And so I began looking into that and thinking about how it might relate to where we're talking today. Here's what I found about what's so fascinating about uh, you know, fantasy sports leagues and how all that works. Do you know that, that currently it is a multi-billion dollar industry just in the fantasy sports league thing. Just like in NFL alone, let me just give you some numbers to help you understand this. In the NFL alone, last year was a $70 billion year. $70 billion, not for the NFL, but for all the fantasy sports leagues within the NFL. 
So for the first time in the last couple of years, the fantasy sports leagues of all the ordinary people like you and me, kind of tracking with all these players and picking our teams of the year, for the first time two years ago, the fantasy leagues began making more than the actual leagues. And people are making all kinds of money. Now, you may be seriously reconsidering your day job after hearing that. Here's what's so amazing. Uh, Forbes did a big study on this and why it's such a phenomenon. And what they found, one of the oddest things they found was that the commitment people have to their fantasy leagues and picking their players and how passionate they are for that. In fact, they found that 40% of the people who are in a sports fantasy league right now, 40% said they will be in one until they die. (laughs) That's a pretty huge commitment to watching someone else's life that they're making. In fact, the way that trends are currently going right now, about 12% of Americans, 12% are in at least one fantasy sports league. That means at the current rates of growth within the next two to three years, more people will be in a fantasy sports league than will actually go to church on Sunday. So the, the commitment level that we have to watching someone else's life is pretty high. The, the, the lengths to which someone is willing to invest in someone else's career and what they do with their life is pretty staggering, actually. And as I was kind of preparing for our time this weekend and, and reading through this passage we're about to get into, I began to think and I began to wonder and reflect on my own life and think about our church and began to wonder, I wonder how many folks, when it comes to the work of God in this world, when it comes to the work of God in this city, When it comes to the work of God in this church, I wonder how many folks are actually in a fantasy league than in the actual game. I wonder how many folks are are watching other people doing it and going, that's amazing. Look at what God's doing over there. Or, or maybe you'll come and you'll give some time yourself. You'll come and attend here. That's fantastic. Or you'll maybe get involved here. They're like our back to school bash, you know? So cool to see how many of you went and got backpacks. It's not too late to get backpacks to go and fill those with school supplies. And how many of you will come and serve for a couple hours at the back to school bash? And so you'll give some time and you'll give some money. But I wonder how many of us assume that the actual game was for someone else. And so we sit in the sidelines watching other people live the life that God created you to live. And so what I want us to look at in our time together today is how you and I get in the game of what God's doing here. Get in the game of what he's doing through this church, in this city, and around the world. And in a little bit, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God, to take a next step, a practical next step, to go from watching someone else play the game to actually being a part of it yourself. Now, we're going to look at a passage that illustrates this beautifully. And again, it's one of my favorite passages. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask that you open to Matthew 25. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's great. We've got you covered. There should be a blue Bible. If you check now, it should be in your seat back. You can grab that. It's right next to the Sky Mall. So grab the blue Bible in your seat back. And grab a pen, actually, if you would, please. We're going to Uh, Be underlined and circling a couple things and then taking some notes. So grab a blue Bible. In the blue Bible, it's page 694. Page 694, Matthew 25. Let me give you a little context. Uh, We're going to be looking at a parable of Jesus. Now, Jesus did teach similar to how I'm teaching today where, you know, we have the Sermon on the Mount where he would kind of break down what the Bible says and apply it to our everyday lives. But lots of times the way that Jesus taught was through parables. And these parables are just stories that evoke 
a response in people, that get kind of in deeper with people. And so he told these parables, these stories. And the one we're going to look at today, in your Bible, may be called the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, in another account, it's called the parable of the talents. In, in, in the Gospel of Luke, same exact story is recorded as the parable of the minas. And the minas are actually, a mina is a, a measurement of money. And so as best we can understand from, you know, archaeology and histori- like history, uh, history is the word I was going for there. Uh, I was not great at English. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, so what we can understand is that th- this measurement of money that we're going to hear about in this story, this parable, this bag of gold, roughly equaled kind of in, in that culture and then given 2,000 years of, of inflation, is around like a- about half a million dollars for each bag of gold. I want you to remember that as best we can understand the context of the story Jesus is telling. Each bag that he's referring to, each mina, is, is roughly around half a million, $500,000 in our currency today. So I want you to keep that figure in mind as we walk through the story that Jesus tells us about how valuable your life is and what's been entrusted to you. So this is Matthew 25. We'll start at verse 14 where Jesus starts the story. He says this. He says, again, it would be like he's talking about the kingdom of God and life with God and the heart of God. He says, it's like a a man going on a a journey. And he called his servants and he entrusted whose wealth? He entrusted his wealth to them. Now notice who the man calls. Jesus starts the story by saying, hey, a guy's going to go on a journey. And he calls his servants to him. He does not call his financial advisors. He he doesn't call his, his money experts. He calls his servants, remember that, and he entrusts them with his wealth. Now look at what he does. To one he gave five bags of gold. All right, hit pause. Those of you math wizards. If if each bag is worth half a million dollars, five bags is worth how much in total? 2.5 million dollars. Just sit with that for a second. To the second one, the text says, he gave two bags of gold. So those of you who aren't as great at math, uh, if, if one is, uh, is half a million, two bags is one million. You're close. You're getting close. Keep dreaming. And then to the last one, for the rest of us who, who are terrible at math, if half a bag is worth, or if a bag is worth half a million dollars, then he gives one bag at the end, and so that's worth how much? Half a million dollars. So you get the story here. He gives 2.5. He gives one million. He gives half a million. Now look what the phrase says here that Jesus used. Each according to his what? Ability. Not each according to his worth. Not each according to his worth. Oh, you're more valuable, so I'll give you more money. Oh, you matter more to God. You matter less to God, so I'll give you less. No, no, no. Jesus says, according to his ability. This master had watched his servants and saw in them something to where he appropriately entrusted his wealth to each of them. And then Jesus says, then he went on his journey. Now, if you're one of the listeners to Jesus' story, like, but where did he go? Jesus like, that's not the point of the story. He went on a journey. Just stay with me. All right, so these three servants, we get to see their responses. Matthew 25, verse 16, the man who received five bags of gold, like roughly $2.5 million, went, what's the phrase, went eventually at once. He went at once, right away. He didn't kind of mull it over. He didn't go seek his kind of advice. What do you think I should do? Someone just gave me $2.5 million. What should I do? At once, it says that he goes and puts that money to work. He puts it to work and gained five bags more. So 2.5 million now has just become? Okay, that's pretty significant. That's, that's good work right there. And look at this. Same happens also with the guy with two bags of gold. He gained two more. 
Now, just pause real quick. In, in these kind of parables that Jesus told, it was common in his day among priests and rabbis who would tell these kind of stories to tell stories of in threes. There's always three sort of characters, three responses. And typically the way those stories go is that you really don't want to be the third guy. You just don't want to be the third guy. And so that's where this story is going. And this is our wah, wah moment about to come up. Jesus gets to the third guy and they can all kind of see it coming. They're like, oh, what's the third guy going to do? Jesus says this in Matthew 18, but the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. That's a different response than the first two guys. First two guys go to work at once with what was entrusted to them. The third guy goes at once and grabs a shovel and digs a hole and drops it in the ground. Now listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a finance degree, okay? While, while you may have been sitting in advanced corporate finance management classes, I, I was in Old Testament poetry, <laughs> okay? But I do know that the dig a hole and bury it financial strategy doesn't tend to lend itself to multiplication of resources. That basically, at the end of the day, what you're buried is what you're left with. First, you guys go to work at once. This guy goes and digs a hole. And it's easy in this story, and in Jesus' day, they kind of knew, oh, the third guy's coming. Oh, he's the guy that we don't want to be like. And it's really easy for us to hear this and go, oh my gosh, what a terrible response, right? Because you already kind of know where the story's going. But I want you to think for a second, if someone came to you, let's say you walked out of Soul City Church today, and it just so happened that walking by as you walked out was Donald Trump. And he's walking by because he loves spending time in Chicago. And he sees you and he thinks that you are someone he can trust. And so he comes to you and says, come here, come here, come here. Real quick, I, this is going to be a terrible Donald Trump impression. <laughs> he goes, hey, listen, I'm, I got to go on a journey. I got to go on a trip. I, I, I'm going to go make a bigger sign for myself. <laughs> this one's not quite big enough. It's going to be huge. And so, and so he goes, listen, I'm going to go. And I'm, but here's the deal. I want you, can you hold this for me? It's, it's half a million dollars. I want you to do something with this. And if he were to it, give you half a million dollars cash, what would be your first response? If he literally brings out a suitcase full of cash. I mean, we're in Chicago. This happens every day. But what would you do if someone gave you a suitcase full of money? What would you do with it? My hunch is maybe you wouldn't be that far. I wouldn't be that far from this guy. I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm not a financial manager. I'm going to bury this thing in the ground because I know when he comes back, he's going to want it. And I don't want to risk ruining what was entrusted to me. And maybe your fear might get the best of you and you might go looking for the nearest shovel. Well, master returns. And I love this part of the story. Verse 19, Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Oh, it's as though he actually was expecting something from them settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. And look what he says. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Now look at this. This is such a beautiful picture that Jesus gives us to the heart of the Father. Through all of our own fears and assumptions about God, look at how Jesus describes the master in this moment. The master replied, who represents God, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. And you might say, a few things? That seems like a lot of things. Well, apparently this master in the story had great resources. 
So to him, these are a few things. And you were faithful with a few things. So I will put you in charge of many things. Now look at this phrase and underline this if you need to. Now come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now what was his happiness all about? That he got more money? Doesn't need more money. His happiness comes because this servant got in the game, did something with what was entrusted to him. You share in my delight of you making something, doing something with what was entrusted to you. The same goes for the second guy. Two bags, four. One million, two million. Great response. What I want us to do is jump down to the third guy. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. His response, a little different from the first two. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Now, I want you to, this is kind of some colloquial talk here, but I want you to see if you can see through what he's saying. I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, what does that mean for us? What he's basically saying is, Master, I, I, kinda, I know who you are. I know how you make your money. You take it from places you didn't make it. You, you kind of get it through kind of backdoor channels. I know that you're a hard man. So he's basically accusing the master of being in the mafia. <laughs> he's basically saying, look, I get that you're, you're a duplicitous character. Now, isn't this interesting? Isn't this interesting that the first two who went to work right away did something with what was entrusted to them, but the third returns with accusations and assumptions about the heart of the master. And so he says, I knew that you're a hard man. That you, you, you kind of made your money through sort of these, you know, shady channels. So he says, here's the deal. I was afraid. And he just hit pause right there. I wonder how many of our decisions in life, if we were to look back and reflect, would start with those words, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid. I let my fear take the wheel of my life. I was afraid, and I, and I went, <laughs> and I hid your gold in the ground, and I love his audacity to say, see, dusting it off, here's what belongs to you. What an insult to give back to the master what was exactly entrusted to the servant. And so, this is where I love, so, you know, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. And I love where he takes the story next. So the third servant just gives him back, kind of wiping the weeds off the bottom of the bag and handing it back to the master. And look what Jesus says. His master replied, that's okay, you tried. Is that what the text says? <laughs> that's what we wanted to say, let's be honest. A for effort. You gave it your best shot, sport. <laughs> that's not what Jesus says. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Oh, 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 so you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Our eight and six-year-old have savings accounts. But this guy says, no, no, I'm going to bury it in the ground. So look at what the master does. Look at his response to the third servant's response to him. Take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Now imagine you're that first servant. You just got another half a million dollars. You're like, woohoo! Too soon, too soon. Sorry, too soon, too soon. <laughs> Too soon. He says, give it to him. For those who have will be given more. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about those at the end of days when it's time to settle our account with God. 
those who have done something with what was entrusted to them will actually have at the end more than they even realized. They will have an abundance, Jesus says. He talks about this in John 10, 10. He says, this is the life I created you for. It's life abundantly so that when you are faithful with what I've entrusted to you, you have far more than what you think you have in the account. I will bless your life far beyond what you can see. Then he says, listen, as for those who do not have, who kind of show up empty, who pull their lives up out of the ground and hand it back to God, even what they have will be taken from them. Now look at these words. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You ever heard that phrase before? What's it typically ascribed to? Hell. Jesus is saying, throw that servant out so that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Get him out of my sight. And this is where Jesus ends story time. He drops the mic, throws up deuces, and walks out. Done. End of story. Jesus says, yep, this is how serious I am. This is how serious it is that you take seriously the life that God has entrusted to you. Could it be that Jesus is trying to teach us something about the difference between spectating and participating? Could it be that Jesus is trying to teach us something about the difference between playing the game, getting involved, and playing it safe and burying your life? Could it be that Jesus is trying to teach us something about the heart of the Father, that he longs for you to experience his happiness and abundance in your life from doing what you can with what God's given to you? From answering the question, what will you do with what God has given to you? Could it be that Jesus is teaching us that God expects something from us, of us? Not more, not more so he can have more stuff, but so that you can have more of the life he created and has invited you to live. So a good question upon reflection from this passage for you and for me might be, what has God given me? What has God given to you? What, what are the gifts in your life? Maybe you might not have even recognized them as such. You're so busy looking at what everyone else has, you've missed what God has given to you. What is it that God has given to you, and I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe four bags, maybe eight bags, maybe one bag. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, the time and the talents and the treasures that God has given to you. It's different for every one of us, but here's what's the same about all of us. God has entrusted you with something. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about it? God has given you the gift of time. Look, you got up today. You are here today. You are breathing and living one more day. Whether you realize it or not, that's a gift. So what do you do with the day that's been given to you? You have talents. You are good at things. You, things come naturally to you. Again, math, not one of my talents. Maybe it comes great to you. You're great with kids. You're great with listening to and caring for people. God's given you talents that you are naturally good at. Next week, we're going to look at what happens when God matches what you're naturally good at and makes it a supernatural thing for you to do with him. There's things that you're good at. God's given you talents. God's given you treasure. Again, you're so, you may be looking at everyone else's bag or wondering why you don't have more, but you have. It's a gift, your resources. There's things you have. And again, as we say all the time, it may not be all that you want, but I bet it's more than you need. 
And so the question is, what do you do with what God has given to you? Do you, do you go to work at once? Or do you go and grab a shovel and bury your life away? What have you done? And this is not out of guilt or obligation. This is honest introspection. It's an important question for every one of us to answer. No matter where you're at in your journey with God, your relationship with God, what do you do with what God's given to you? And what I found is I've kind of reflected on my own life is that far too often when I receive something from God, gifts from God, when I become more aware of the gifts God's already given me, honestly, my first response tends to be more like the third servant. I, I tend to want to play it safe. I tend to want to believe that it's mine. I, I tend to want to kind of do what I want to do with it in my time, in my agenda. I love bargaining with God. Thanks for this, God. I know you gave it to me, but here's what I'm going to do with it for a while. And then when I have enough of it, I'll give some of it back to you. Maybe you can relate. It's far, it's far too easy. It's far too easy to bury your life under the busyness of your life. It's far too easy to bury your life under the belief that you're not spiritual enough to do spiritual things for God in this world. Or maybe if you're being really honest, you know, maybe yours is like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do anything good for God. Maybe your belief is that you're too good to do stuff for God. And your time's too important. Your agenda's far more important than his. And so you kind of continue burying your life and living it sort of on your terms as opposed to leveraging whatever it is that God has given you for his glory. And the question is, what do you tend to do with the time and the talents and the treasures that God has entrusted to you? What are you doing with those incredible gifts that you have? Again, this is not a guilt or obligation thing. This is you and God. And the problem is when you come to a church like this is we make it far too easy for you to bury your time, talents, and treasures. You walk into a place like this and it's easy to believe. You look around here at least and you say, oh my gosh, this place is awesome. They've got it all figured out. They let you like, there's coffee here and you can bring it into the auditorium. That alone is proof for the existence of a good God. And maybe you kind of look around and you go, look, they've got everything figured out. I mean, look at the room and they've got 19 monitors and screens in here and there's always something behind him when he's talking and it's easy to assume that there's no room for your time talents and treasures here I, I i get that it's easy in fact the longer you go to church the easier it is for you to believe that isn't that a shame doesn't that seem backwards <laughs> that is so easy for you to come and here's the here's the here's the catch here's the real catch is not only is it easy for you to assume that there's no room for your time talents or treasures or you kind of find the whatever your excuse is to sort of bury the things that God has given to you here's the thing though while you and I are busy burying our life away we are very dependent on other people not doing the same Think about it for a second. If you have kids upstairs right now in Soul City Kids or a student in Soul City Students right now, aren't you glad those volunteers didn't bury their time, talents, and treasures today? If, if you come here on a Sunday and you listen to the music, I love our music here. Do you know that every single person leading our worship today is a volunteer? They were here Thursday night rehearsing. They were here at 6 a.m. this morning getting ready for this time. Aren't you glad they didn't bury their time? And their talents and their treasures. Think about it, if you if you were in a small group this summer, if you've ever been a part of a Soul City small group, that life-changing, transforming community. I love 
our groups. I love leading one. I've been a part of one for almost three years here at this church. Aren't you glad your small group leader didn't bury their time, talents, and treasures? You think about the conversations you've had, the coffees you've shared, the, the way that you've entered into each other's life. Aren't you glad they didn't pick up the shovel and bury their time, talents, and treasures? When you came here today and, you know, you came here this afternoon, aren't you glad that those volunteers outside that help you find a parking spot didn't bury their time, talents, and treasures? And those people who greeted you when you walked in the door and made you feel welcome and like you're actually wanted in this place, aren't you glad they didn't bury their time, talents, and treasures? Okay, maybe this one will preach to you. Aren't you glad that those people who serve in our cafe, who pour you liquid goodness from God to carry you through this hour, I'll bet you're glad they didn't bury their time, talents, and treasures this weekend. It's an amazing dichotomy that we create for ourselves when we come to church. And it's easy for us to assume that there's no room for us, but we count on everyone else doing their part. We hope everyone else does their part so I can get what I need, but then for whatever reason, we bury our life away. And I care about you too much. And I care about this church too much. And to allow you to be a spectator in the work that God is doing. Because at the end of the day, well, you may or may not be bearing your life away. And you're watching and hoping and counting on everyone else to do their part. Ultimately, this is between you and God. This is not about me trying to get up here to get you to do more stuff around our church. This is between you and God. You are like a servant entrusted by the master with great resources in your life. And the question is, what will you do with what's been given to you? Because here's the deal. At the end of your life, at the end of this day, at the end of this month, there is something that you have to settle and wrestle with is that you simply cannot outsource your obedience to God. You cannot outsource your obedience to God. It's not someone else's job. That's for you and him. And thank God this isn't a guilt or obligation deal. This is about you sharing in the master's happiness of making much of what was entrusted to you. I tell you so often, so many times, the church can get this so wrong and, 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 and get up here and try and guilt and, and beg you to do more stuff around here because we're so desperate for volunteers. Let me be really clear around here at Soul City Church. We are not desperate for volunteers. We are not desperate. We are dependent on God for this church. I desperately long for you to live the life God's created you for. That's what I'm desperate about. I desperately long for you to get in the game and stop playing fantasy league church where you watch everyone else live the life God created you to live. So what would it look like for you to do something this week with what God has actually entrusted you with? You know, we, we've tried as best we can to understand how we can help people do this and and how we can help people take a practical next step. It's one of the big things around here for our church is we try as best we can to always have sort of a practical next step for the spiritual truth that we come at as best we can from the Bible. And so we've been doing a lot of homework and a lot of studying, a lot of understanding about what's going on at Soul City Church and how are people engaging. Because when I come here, I look around I'm like, this is awesome. It's so cool to see how many people respond to what God's doing and how many people are involved. And so Kurt, who's on our staff, who was up here a little bit ago, has done exhaustive sort of study and research in how we 
serve and volunteer here at Soul City Church and how that works and what he brought back to our leadership team two weeks ago honestly made my jaw drop. I thought, that's impossible. This is what he found. Chris said, listen, of, of the people who regularly attend our church, so people who regularly come here each weekend, the percentage of those folks who are regularly, consistently serving somewhere in our church is currently at, you want to take a guess? 16%. And I said, no, 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 Kurt, you're like me. You're bad at math. It's 61%. Because how it feels around here is that we're all involved. How it feels around here is, oh, yeah, this is awesome. There's everyone, some, someone's doing something, clearly. The reality is 16% of our church is actually regularly, consistently engaged somehow in serving God through this place. And so we're going to go, okay, wait, is that good or bad? feels bad. It's like, no, it's just real. It's where we're at. So we begin to kind of study and research, okay, where should a church at our age, at our size be at? How many people should be involved in? Do you know what the experts say we should kind of hope for and shoot for as a church? That about 30% of our church should be actively involved and engaged in doing something with the life God has given them. But that's a great goal to shoot for. And I read that and I thought, that's terrible. That's terrible that I would expect of you and respect you only to the point to say only about 30% of you should live the life that God has created you to live. I follow a God who has always only given 100%. Imagine if only 30% of my sin was forgiven. You would not want to be around me Imagine if God's peace only covered 16% of your fear and anxiety. We count on God to be 100% God. So the question is, what, what will you do with your life? What will you do? My, my goal, my hope as a pastor is to see 100%, 100% of our church actively engaged in serving God in some capacity in some way leveraging your time, talents, and treasures for him. Again, this is not about guilt or obligation or us. This is between you and God. And you no longer burying your life or settling for outsourcing your obedience, but doing something today. And so here's what we're going to do. In your seat back, there's a, a card that looks exactly like this because it is this card. And so I'm going to ask you to grab it and pull that out and hold that pen that you've got or grab a pen. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a little 90-day challenge. We do this in the spring with giving back to God, and we're going to do it now just to see what would happen if for this fall. Let's just say for this fall, what would happen if you got actively engaged somewhere in our church, somehow, some way in our church? And I know what you're thinking, like, wait, was this whole sermon like an infomercial to get me to serve somewhere in this church? Absolutely not at all. This is just the only organization that I'm responsible for. Like, this, this, these are just the opportunities I have access to. There's a ton of great places for you to serve God all over the city and all over the world. I can only tell you about the ones around here. And let me just hit pause for a second. I can't tell you about a better organization in the world. I have yet to find, of all these great organizations that I'm personally partnered with and our church is partnered with, I have yet to find an organization in the world that cares for the poor while caring for unexpected pregnancies in teen women, while caring for young families, while caring for people's spiritual growth, 
while caring for the spiritual state of the neighborhood they live in, while caring for people using their spiritual gifts, while caring for people restoring their marriages, I have yet to find an organization like the church. And I know what you may be thinking. The church oftentimes gets it wrong. This is a chance for us to get it right. And to, and to just get involved somewhere. So there's all kinds of explanations of opportunities for you to get involved here. And you can fill it out. And in a little bit, I'm going to have you fill it out. And we'll hand it off when we leave here today. And again, this is just between you and God. And you may already be kind of serving regularly around here. And so the question for you is, what else, God? Is there something else? What, what else, God, might you want to leverage my life for? Is there some other part of my time or my talents or my treasures that I thought was mine again? And so, God, I want to give that back to you, God. I want to offer it up to you. Maybe for you, you're new here and you're like, am I supposed to do this? Why not? Why not get to find out what this church is really actually like and about by getting on the inside and being a part of what God's doing here? It's a great way for you to get to know people and grow in your relationship with God by rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in what God's doing. Look, I, this is between you and God. I don't get a bonus if all of you sign up today. I just want to see you get involved and engaged somewhere in what God's doing in this city through this church. Somehow, some way, somewhere. So what I'm going to do is pray for us and I'm going to invite you to fill this out and then we're going to respond to God together. This is between you and him. And I'd ask while I'm praying, if you would seriously pray, God, where do you want me to leverage my one and only life for you? So if you would, for just the next moment, join me in a prayer and then we'll respond to God together. Let's pray right now. God, thank you that you have always and only are a 100% God. Thank you, Jesus, that you knew that your one life and death and resurrection would lead to life for all of us. And so you laid it down. You leveraged your life to the point of death. And surely for a God who is willing to go to that extent to demonstrate his love so that we could experience his happiness, surely there is some response that I can make today. So God, I pray against any spirit of guilt or shame or obligation or expectation that's unhealthy or undue. I pray for a holy, healthy movement of your spirit right now. Because God, there are some of us who've been sitting on the sidelines for far too long. And you're inviting us to no longer play it safe, but to play in this great game of life with you, to get engaged and get involved in what you're doing and to live the life that you've created us to live. And so God, I pray that each of these personal responses would be a little act, a small little act of worship to you that you would grow our church up and move our church forward by your spirit and by your power and by ordinary everyday people like me and like these gathered here who look at our lives and say, what would you do with this, God? So I pray that that's what happens in this moment and what you receive and how we move forward. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So take the next moment to fill that card out and then join us.